0: Hey everybody, welcome to Everyday Geo. And starting off this new year, I decided we need to keep things pretty open. Open source, that is. Yep, it's JB, I'm your host here on Everyday Geo. And last uh, podcast, I did a little, just one on me, bits and bops section. And, And one of those sections I talked about was an article I came across about, you know, open source and having open source as part of your GIS toolkit. And that was written by a gentleman named Mike Miller. And going through his article, I was like, man, it'd be really good to get somebody who knows open source on this show. Because, you know, if you've listened to these podcasts, about 98% or 95% of the people that I've talked to are primarily Esri users. And nothing against Esri. Love Esri, started using Esri myself. But I thought somebody who really understood open source would be nice to have on on the call. And so I contacted Mike, and he agreed to come on. So, hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing good, JB. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. And so, um, as I stated earlier, you were—I I got your your info from your your article and your blog, and you came out with a new one this week that was is very good as well. And I'm really excited to hear about some of this open source stuff that you're doing. And this falls right in along with the the other thing that I talked about in my last podcast, and that is bringing onto the show people who are independent contractors who do their own geospatial work, mom and pop shops people who who um are not the big corporations that have tons of people doing geospatial work and and they're keeping it local as well and so Mike falls right into that you're you're an independent contractor, correct Mike uh yes, that's correct. Great. Uh so what are you doing? What is your your role within the the geospatial world right now?
1: Well, my background, I've worked for smaller environmental consulting firms for about fifteen years. But um right now, I recently moved to Mexico. I married a woman from Mexico and decided to move down here. And you know, I didn't have a work permit. My Spanish wasn't all that good, and so I was trying to come up with something that I could do to earn some money while I was here. And while I was learning to do uh, build web GIS applications, I had taken a lot of courses on Udemy.com on web programming. And I, I learned a lot from that, and I thought it was a good, a good format, the video tutorials. But there wasn't anything there that was specific for web GIS. And um, I had to put that part together for myself. And I managed to do that. It wasn't particularly easy, but I managed to do it. And I, I found that it wasn't that difficult. There just wasn't anything available about using open source tools to create Web GIS applications. And I thought that there would probably be an audience who would want to do that. And so that was my first course was an introduction to building Web GIS applications. And I uh, put that course together and uploaded it to the Udemy platform. And so that's how I've been generating some income for the past year
0: or so. Okay, so you're you're down in Mexico right now? Yes, I am. Ah, great. Another international podcast. Love those international mm-hmm. podcasts. I've been doing Canada for a while, and now I'm down south of the border, so it's good to have you on. Okay. So um, how did you get started in all this? I mean, did you always, were you always a geographer? I mean, wh- where did you get your geospatial itch, so to say?
1: Um. Well, so I had been, programming computers ever since I was in high school in the early 80s. And um, my dad got a computer to help manage his real estate business. And that was my summer job was to help make it work because he didn't really understand it that well. And um, after high school, I spent a couple of years programming. Uh, I had a friend who had a video store and he hired me to write a program to manage his video store rental business. And so I did a lot of database applications with that. But um, after a couple of years, I decided I wanted to change the course of my life. I was interested in outdoors and in wildlife. And I went to school in Montana State, started college to get a degree in wildlife biology. And when I got there, I got a work-study job with Montana State Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. And I met a guy there who was a computer programmer and also had been been a wildlife biologist in the past. And he started talking about GIS, and I didn't know anything about it at the time. But I'd been interested in the outdoors and in maps and computer programming. And I got to be real good friends with this guy. And I learned that there was a GIS minor at Montana State. And so I thought that would be a good fit with my background and with my interest in wildlife biology.
0: That's nice. I mean, it's that's, that's, that's also kind of funny that – my background is also wildlife biology. Mm-hmm. I, I, I learned about GIS and GPS when we went and did a bunch of work with salamanders in the uh, Smoky Mountain National Park. So small, mm-hmm. small world. So yeah. So after, after your undergraduate, did you, did you do anything else? Did you go into grad school or, or anything like that? I got a master's degree in ecology from Colorado State
1: University. And I took some GIS classes there, but I wasn't really able to use it that much in my research. But I, I definitely pursued continuing my my interest in my education in GIS. And then um, I started a PhD program at Purdue University, and my work there was heavily GIS-oriented. Yeah, um, I was looking at developing methods for uh, developing spatial inference from animal movements as a complete linear path like you would get from a GPS collar, as opposed to just points. And so I was developing software and developing statistical methods and that type of thing.
0: Oh, that's interesting because I, I remember back when people started first doing tracking with GPS. I mean, it was just location. It wasn't a full path. It was just like, oh, you know, the elephant was here at this location. And then like, Ten hours later, it's over here at this location, and people are like, "Well, how did it get from A to b?"
1: Yeah, and that's really what stimulated my interest a lot of A lot of the work I had was in winter um tracking animals in the snow, and you know so I had a lot of time out there following animals around, and also a lot of time to think and you know, I realized that most of the st- statistical methods that we had to analyze habitat use and things like that from animals came from points from mostly from radio telemetry. And here I was spending all day following these tracks around the snow and thinking, "There's a whole lot of information here that's not encapsulated in just a point." And maybe if we could get the entire line, um, we could learn some some different kinds of information. We could extract some different kinds of information from that.
0: So you were back in the in the very beginning of that whole movement type monitoring of of wildlife.
1: Yeah, the GPS collars had had really. They'd been out for a while, but they were really just getting to the point where they were small enough and could hold enough data to be um to be really useful.
0: Yeah, I, I remember some of those first GPS callers. That they were pretty big, big enough for an elephant, but yeah. not gonna do you yeah. good that gonna do you good on like a lynx or a fox. They were still too big. Yeah, exactly. So that that's a pretty interesting project there. I mean, what other projects have you been working on? What what's been the most favorite project that you've worked on? Let's let's state that.
1: Hmm. I think I'd say the the last job I had for an environmental consulting firm in Colorado. I came in and um there was a lot of oil and gas development north of Denver and we had uh some oil and gas clients and so For all of their construction activities, they were hiring the company I worked for to go out and monitor for sensitive species, for burrowing owls and raptors and bald eagles and things like that. So they would tell us when they were planning a new construction project and we would go out and survey for the presence or absence of these species. And then also we had to, every week while they were while they were doing their construction, if it was during the nesting season or something like that, we would have to go out. And um, if there was an inactive nest, see if it had become active or if there was a new nest or those kinds of things. And things got really busy before I started working for this company. And they had been managing everything just in spreadsheets. There wasn't There wasn't that much. And it was not that hard to keep track of. And then all of a sudden things blew up and they got tons of work, tons of new construction it got to be really hectic managing the scheduling of the surveys and you know they would give us just a spreadsheet every week that had the new construction activities and the dates would have changed and everything changed and so it was a really um a really complex uh scheduling and mapping uh, kind of process and and they realized that they didn't have the personnel to to do the kind of programming, the custom applications that was would be required to manage that whole process, and so that's where I came in. And I'd say it was one of the ones that I enjoyed the most, just because it was it was really complicated. I got to do a lot of programming, and you know, it's a it's a good feeling when you can accomplish something that's difficult like that.
0: Yeah, yep, it's good to solve a problem that people scratch their heads on, and you're able to mm-hmm. figure it out. I mean, it's it's like like a game sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So. What what project really challenged you? I mean, what what project really had you banging your head uh, till you finally got it right?
1: Well, that one definitely did, um, <laughs> <laughs> it, which is one of the things that I enjoyed about it. Um, uh, there was, a, I'd say, another one when I started getting into this, some of these web GIS applications, and and actually, really started getting into the open source world as well. Was um, the same company that I was working for had another division that was mosquito control. And so every summer, they would have had about 50 people that would come in and do the spraying in the field and stuff. And they had to record what they were spraying and how much and, and all that and where and all that kind of stuff. And so um, they had been using uh, a custom app on uh, Palm Pilot devices that they'd had for about five years. And the devices were going bad and nobody was using palm software anymore nothing was being updated and so they tasked me with coming up with uh, a solution um to replace what they had been using and budgets were pretty tight so there wasn't you know they couldn't even afford to have a separate user on an arcgis online account to use like collector or something like that but there was also there were a lot of rules and there was a lot of uh, legal ramifications about how much you could spray and uh, that kind of stuff. And that all had to be met and it had to be, you know, the people who were our field techs, you know, like I said, the budgets were pretty tight and they weren't being paid a whole lot. So they had to, we had to make it as simple as possible and as quick as possible for them to use it. And that's when I started looking into the open source web applications to do that. And I developed a mobile app that they could use. And also, so all the data they were collecting was going into a post GIS database. Directly from the mobile units in the field, and then I also developed a kind of a dashboard application for the project managers back in the office so they could see um, who was where and what they were doing, and you know if they had a special job that came up, who was going to be closest to it and make sure that everything was being done and the quality control was uh, a lot of it was automated and validated um, on the spot, but they also had to double check with some things and um, it made it kind of a really complex custom application that was the first really mobile application that I had developed and the first kind of open source application. So that was really challenging to just get my head around all of that stuff.
0: Well, it sounds like your programming background really came into play for sure. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: You started off, you said early back in the high schools with your dad and back in high school with your dad uh, programming. When you got into GIS and started to... Learn more about GIS. What what was the software package that you started using to begin with?
1: Well, um, like I said, I was going to school at Montana State, and it's a relatively small state. They didn't have a lot of money, and the the GIS lab had a couple of Unix workstations, but. You know, the undergraduates couldn't get on it. They pretty much ran it as a consulting firm. They were doing work for other people, and you had to pay to get access to their their computers. Computers were really expensive at the time. This was 1991, 1992. And so I actually got my whole minor in GIS and spatial analysis and never actually got on ARC Info. (laughs) (laughs) We had a couple canned labs with a program called Adrisi. That was free software back then. I don't know if you if you remember Adrici, but
0: Oh, yeah. I remember it. Yeah.
1: So we had a couple of canned labs with that and stuff, but I really hadn't actually gotten my hands on on the software. We had learned a lot of theory, learned a lot about what everything meant and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it was really different time back then than it is now. And uh, I think I've kind of come to the conclusion that I benefited from that in the long run, even though it was really frustrating to me at the time because here I was saying, yeah, I have a minor in GIS and spatial analysis. And if somebody had hired me and said, here, try and do something, I wouldn't have known the first thing of what to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've, you know, how to actually get in and use ARC Info. But uh, soon after that, ARC, uh, ARC View 3.0 came out, and um, I managed to get a copy of that and uh, that you could run on a PC. And they had the Avenue programming language. So I learned how to do some scripting in Avenue, uh, used that for a while. And then when I sh- went to Purdue and started my PhD, I was, like I said, I was doing a lot of programming in GIS to develop some of these kind of statistical methods for analyzing movement data. And I'd started with Avenue, but about six months after I started, they came out with ArcGIS 8.0. Which was you know completely different, and the you know, programming was in Visual Basic and uh, using the Arc objects API and it was completely new and there wasn't you know there weren't really books or anything like that out, but I also realized at the time that you know if I was gonna do something that big that I wanted to do it in a way that it was gonna you know that wasn't gonna be outdated in a year and so I spent a lot of time learning how to use Arc objects and learning how to use programming Visual Basic and completely, you know, had to switch into into that programming environment. Um and, and and that's what I worked in for a bunch of years until I did a little bit of Python scripting in ArcGIS, but um not so much because I I already knew Arc objects and I could do what I needed in that generally quicker than I could do in Python.
0: I, I'm familiar with the whole university locking down software. So I mean I learned on a Unix environment, well, mm-hmm. VMS, old digital, bo- an old digital box is how I learned ArcInfo, and then finally, happy when when ArcView came yeah. out, I was like, oh, there's a graphical user interface, yep. <laughs> and now now you're pretty much um, open source, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I still have an ArcGIS license, and I still use it occasionally, but um, when I started, well. So one of the some of the other problems that I've had working in the environmental consulting business has been, you know, we'd occasionally get projects where we needed to have several people editing data at the same time, um, with some bigger projects, and and that just doesn't work in ArcGIS unless you have a ArcGIS server instance, and in, and then they need the seven thousand uh, dollar, I guess it used to be Arc Editor, now I think they call it ArcGIS Standard, but to edit. kind of data you need the really expensive licenses and so um i was always trying to find workarounds and mostly it was by managing people and managing data and keep people from working in the same data at the same time but but it was a real headache because you know my bosses were going to go out and spend fifty thousand dollars um for you know a a small project that might only have a budget of forty thousand dollars right so (laughs) you know and so i spent a lot of time trying to manage people and trying to manage data so we could avoid having to um, get into this multi-user editing of the Enterprise geodatabase. But when I started doing this uh, mobile application and working with PostGIS and uh, realized that I need the QGIS to go in and edit the data that's stored in PostGIS, I um, started using QGIS and realizing that hey, this would have solved all my problems because you know it's the database is free, the software is free and and you can really easily set up a multi user editing database and sort of we we kind of started migrating towards using q g i s more often, and I discovered that I enjoyed the software um there were you know it's not perfect, no software is, but there's a lot of workflows that seem to be more intuitive to me and a little bit easier to learn. I I have no problem with Esri. I've used Esri products for 20 years. It had come up several times in companies I worked for. Well, maybe there's is there another way? And I was always no. We don't want to. We don't want to redo something. We don't want to. We don't. You know, we don't want to start over with some other software and have to relearn everything. Should stick with Esri. I mean, but you know, when it situations came down to it, there was there were use cases for open source that 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 we needed and um, we couldn't afford the the price that everyone was paying and so I kind of got driven that way against my will but having gone there I realized I liked it and so I've continued using it and uh so I just recently came out with a course on QGIS 3.0 which actually hasn't been released yet but but you can use a release candidate and it's going to be released I think in February now so
0: well I I'm 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 with you on the the whole multi-user editing capabilities and, in and Esri, you do have to mm-hmm. spend a ton of money with these licenses and the server and, you know, all that. And, and you're right. I mean, if you got a, if you're a small environmental company or a small GIS shop that has a limited budget of maybe, you know, $50,000 for a project, mm-hmm. why do I want to spend $50,000 and lose all my profit? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's very tough for these mom and pop shops to afford something i mean the mgas of the world and and all that uh, yeah it's just a chunk change but uh
1: yeah and i understand i mean that's 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 azure's you know main profit is in is in larger companies and for a large company they have really good solutions but to me like i said i don't have anything against Esri. i do think there could be something in the middle <laughs> you know something between a 1500 dollars desktop license and $100,000 to have seven or eight users editing in an ArcGIS server instance, you know?
0: Well, the part I like about open source is that it's, as you defined in your past article, is that it is open. I mean, the source code is there for organization. If they need to, if they know what they're doing, they can actually go in and Customized for their own specific needs, I mean they don't have to put in a an enhancement request to a software company and then wait for who knows how long until that comes out
1: exactly yeah, and if they you know if they can afford it, they can hire somebody to do it, or you know honestly, I think a lot of these foundations that manage open source projects they get a lot of donations from large corporations just for that reason, you know. They get funded by large corporations just so maybe for something specific that they want, but also so down the road, the you know, the corporations have an input in where the software goes to to fit their needs. And that
0: that that's good, I mean, because I remember the the software company I used to I previously worked for. I mean, we would have customers all the time going, "Hey, we need to have this in the software." And we're like going, "Well, we'll add it to the queue." we mm-hmm. are like, "Well, when is that? When's it going to happen?" Well, you can always pay us and we'll get it done faster, but yeah, you're at the at the mercy of the big corp at that time when you need something faster rather than later. A lot of people that I talk to when I mentioned are you're using open source, some are like, no, no, not at all. And some are like, oh, I've used it some. Um, You switched. Um, What would you recommend to somebody who's thinking about open source or or what would you do to talk to somebody to tell them to, hey, you need to add this into your your toolbox?
1: Well, I mean, there are a lot of open source softwares. QGIS is one of them, probably the most popular one. And um, I mean, you can just go to QGIS.org and, and download it and start playing around with it. And the course that I just put out on Udemy is, you know, there are a lot of uh, introduction to do, to GIS with QGIS type of courses. And the one that I put out is for GIS professionals that, you know, you already know GIS, you know the terminology. You just want to know, hey, how do I do this that I'm used to doing in ArcGIS in QGIS? And so that was kind of the motivation for for that course was there wasn't really anything like that available. And with the new version coming out, I you know, I wanted to 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 time it with the release of of the new version as well. Um so I mean I would say right now is it's the best time that there's ever been. The new version is really good. A lot of the processing goes on in the background now, so it doesn't block your interface while you're using it. But you can just go download it and, and start using it.
0: A lot of the people that I talk to, they're just used they they learned gis with with arc Mm -hmm. gis uh that's the interface that's the interface they know and i think some of them are just they don't want to learn something new or think it's too much you know open source they're like oh how hard is it going to be to learn open source In, in your opinion how hard is it
1: oh that's a learning curve it's it's not terribly difficult i mean you know in in some in some ways i think qgis is is a lot easier than arcgis maybe it might not have all the bells and whistles but you know it's got enough for it's got what most people use you know and so so what i did like i said i mean i have arcgis i still have arcgis license i'm I'm going to keep paying the maintenance on it occasionally i use it for uh something if there's something i that i can't do in qgis but you know for a long time you know i had both and i i, I would switch back and forth and you know at in the beginning i did a lot of stuff in ArcGIS, and occasionally I would switch to QGIS for something, or if I had time to try and figure something and learn something new, I would use QGIS. But As time went by, as I got more and more familiar with QGIS, I found myself using it uh, more, more and more just because there were a lot of things that I preferred about it. Especially one of the things that I really preferred about it, it was the editing. The editing just seemed much more straightforward to me and and easier to understand than the editing in ArcGIS. That may be partly my background. I know ArcGIS switched their entire editing environment when they, I think in version 10, they made a lot of changes. And I hadn't been doing a whole lot of editing Since that point, so I never really got familiar with it. But when I picked up QGIS, it was I found it really easy to to do a lot of complex editing in QGIS. And so I would go to QGIS to edit things, and then use ArcGIS for analysis. And eventually, I just ended up doing mostly stuff in QGIS. And and now sometimes months go by, and I don't use ArcGIS at all.
0: So now, do you um? What other open source? I mean, besides. QGIS and, and Postgres PostGIS, so do you use any other uh, open source software? What about for, do you do any remote sensing?
1: No, I don't do much of that at all. And I really don't know what the options are in remote sensing as far as open source. I know.
0: You, there's been a lo- No, go ahead.
1: I was going to say there is there is a, a plug-in in QGIS called the Semi-Automatic Classification Plugin that um seems to be, you know, at least for basic Remote sensing kinds of things um, seems to be pretty good. I mean, you can go in and download satellite data and do some supervised classifications and, and a lot of those kinds of things. Uh, and you can, you know, write in QGIS.
0: So, so, so that's a possibility. There's a, um, I think there's a. I'm trying to think of the name of the open source software right now. Or Fio, or Fio Toolbox. I think uh, uh, Okay. another guy who, who's learning to use open source, uh, Frank Obusic. He's using it, trying mm-hmm. to learn it. It's open source as well, and when you install it, it feeds in some of its um, open source stuff right into QGIS. Uh, so I've, mm-hmm. I've got to ask him a little bit more about that. But that was a that's a pretty cool package as well. I think.
1: Yeah, I have heard about that, and I think there's a. You can you can access a lot of those tools also from QGIS. So in their in their geoprocessing processing model, where you can build models just like Model Builder and things like that. But you can access algorithms in GRASS or um, Saga and uh, Orfeo and uh, R or other other kinds of processing tools. You can inc- you can include in your geoprocessing models in QGIS, and so.
0: Well there's been a lot of changes in the industry over the years um since you've been doing geospatial what's the biggest changes that you've noticed in the industry and and how does that how do those changes affect your everyday work day
1: well the whole uh, web based stuff has definitely been a big change over the over the past ten years just being able to access uh background maps over the web um being able to publish data to a web map so people can view it or even edit it online uh, remotely, uh, maybe even from a mobile device. Mobile devices would be another one for sure in the past 10 years that really people want that. They expect to be able to access their GIS data, uh, you know, on on their phones. And, you know, it used to be uh, a whole process of downloading data and loading it up on a $8,000 Trimble GPS unit and, you know, having a, two inch by two inch black and white screen that <laughs> that you could that you could see some data on but you know just, just definitely not get the picture where right now you know you they expect to have background maps and aerial photography and and um all kinds of stuff and they expect people to, to do it on their phone and 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 they can <laughs>
0: you know right uh, it works so
1: i mean and that's really amazing
0: um, well with all those changes i mean like you just said from the old tremble days of the 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 pixelated black and white or black and gray screen to our mobile Mm -hmm. our mobile phones now, where you just click on it and it drops a point. Mm -hmm. Um, How hard is how hard is it for you to stay abreast in all the changes that keep coming out? I mean, do you (laughs) do? I mean, you 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 create courses for open source, but you know, and, and I have created courses for remote sensing and things like that. But you know, we have to continue to learn. So, how hard is it for you to stay abreast in all this?
1: It's hard, man. It's really hard, especially with a lot of the web stuff. I mean, there are so many different web application frameworks and things, and they're changing all the time. And that's one reason why, like with my courses, I just really stick to the basic because I don't want to, I don't want to be chasing the the newest and greatest thing all the time, only to have it, you know, something else replace it in in a year or two. So I stick with really the basics, just straight JavaScript and PHP. And my students know that there are other other possibilities out there that might make it simpler but you know what i'm really trying to teach is just the basics you know how do you get your data under a web map and style it and things like that and so um i i try to keep it simple um and, and partly for that reason because you could drive yourself crazy uh chasing every rabbit into every rabbit hole it's kind of like a game of whack a mole
0: sometimes i'm sure i'm sure it could drive you nuts and you know um for me, I have to, you know, I try to stay abreast by doing some training as well. And, and a matter of fact, I think I said in my last podcast, I even signed up and 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 bought one of your courses on, on the QGIS three So I'm, I haven't started, I haven't started it yet. I'm, I'm trying to get through another another course or so. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to trying it out.
1: Well, I hope you enjoy it.
0: <laughs> do you? I, I know you also do a you. Write articles. You do blogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, you know, I've, I've like the past two that you've done. Uh, do Do you read any blogs out there? Um.
1: Yeah, I don't have any that I specifically follow, like that I check every day or see if something's happened. But but you know, when I'm doing research and stuff, I read a lot of blog posts. If i and you know, there are some that I have subscriptions to, um, but it's more or less kind of hit or miss.
0: Do you ever I mean being open source there's not a whole lot of people that I well maybe boundless does um but do you um watch any webinars or anything on the technology I do occasionally
1: yeah if you know when if I see something that that's coming up that's going to be available that I'm interested in definitely but most of the stuff i
0: watch is stuff that's already been published
1: that you know i just find when i'm searching when i'm doing research
0: do you get a chance to go to any conferences or anything to mingle with folks or, or learn more stuff? I would like to do more of that. It's been a while
1: since I've been to a conference. I went to a couple conferences just in Colorado that were JS conferences in the Esri Southwest user group meetings a couple times. I, I would like to do more of that. Some of the QGIS conferences, I would like to go. The FOSS 4G, uh, it's just a matter of where they are and, and what I can afford to get to at this point. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the society for conservation GIS, but they, they do a, they're, they're a group that's really focused on conservation issues and using GIS to address conservation issues. And I've been a member for a long time and I think it's a good group and they, they do a conference every year that I would like to go to. But.
0: Hey, do they, Is it an international group or is it just a group in the U S or, or what?
1: No, it's very much an international group.
0: Okay, so with your experience, if if a student at a university or somebody who's thinking about getting into GIS or something like that was listening to this podcast, what would you recommend to them as they start to get going into their everyday geo world?
1: I think two things. One would be maybe have a, another interest you know like you and i both got into it from wildlife biology people come in from geology or um government and they hear about gis or they have to use it for a job and they find they enjoy it and then they become you know they end up maybe maybe focusing the rest of their career on gis like like you and i have both done i think so i would say you know have an interest in something other than just straight gis and then that, that you know that will help you narrow your job focus and and the other thing that I would say is is don't just focus on learning learning software. I think, you know, a lot of people get a um take some GIS classes in school or they might even get a certificate in GIS and they 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 learn ArcGIS and they you know, maybe they can make a real pretty map or they can they they might even be really talented at some types of spatial analysis. But when you get into the real world, you kind of have to be able to bring in data from a lot of different sources. Um, you might have to work with a sp- data that's stored in a spatial database. Um, you might have to do some SQL queries. And so you, you're probably going to end up having to understand computers at a higher level that they're going to teach you in a GIS class. So you have to understand about how, how a multi-user database works and uh, and, yeah, and and that kind of thing. It's kind of the whole network infrastructure and, and uh, and i find you know a lot of my coworkers in the past have you know some of them have been pretty good with gis but again most of them came in from a different from a different background and didn't have an IT background of any kind and so you know they would just struggle and and i struggled too um, even though i had more computer experience than most so you know when we were trying to solve problems with our gis how do we manage this and i at least had an idea that there were there were solutions but I couldn't implement them or I couldn't, I, you know, I could barely talk with our IT people and understand what they were saying to, to explain our problems and try and come up with a solution. So I would say, you know, spend some time learning some more background in multi-user GIS, unless you're just going to, you know, if you're going to be in the research world and you're just analyzing your own data or somebody else's data and you're just working on a single user desktop, maybe that's not necessary. But I think for most applications, that that would be a big benefit for most people
0: i i think so too i mean back when i started Mm-hmm. yeah we i did a lot of stuff command line and then we went GUI and now we're back into programming and stuff. i wish i had taken right. i wish I had taken more i t or programming classes, especially with the way things are moving now everything's going to the cloud you gotta understand infrastructure especially if you're going to be on the back end mm-hmm. of things feeding data feeding data into databases and not so much the front end you definitely need to understand the the i t side of the house a lot more than than you would probably get in a general gis class. Yes. So as we as we begin to slowly wind up here, you are an independent contractor, so I'm a, you know, hey, uh take a minute or something and and plug your plug your stuff.
1: <laughs> okay? Well, uh I guess technically I'm an independent contractor, what I'm doing right now is mostly developing these courses. Um I have four out right now on Udemy. Uh, three of them are uh, web programming for GIS applications. One of them is the, Q, the QGIS class that we've talked about. And I'm working on one right now that I'm kind of excited about that's uh, working with uh, spatial databases. And so that will be working with PostGIS and with within QGIS. And so you'll learn SQL and you'll learn how to do other spatial analysis that you can do through SQL. And um, so I think that's that's exciting. And then I have a, a few other uh, web programming kinds of courses that I have to do. But once I'm done with that, um, my hope is that, that that will generate enough income stream to me that I'm going to start a, a nonprofit that will provide some of these more advanced geospatial technologies to smaller nonprofits that they might not be accessible to. Things like mobile applications or web maps. You know, setting up a multi-user database, doing those kinds of things. So um, what we would be doing would be, they would tell us what we would need. And uh, and and I, or maybe some other people, if it gets to the point where I can hire some other people would would help them do it either, you know, depending on their ability to pay. So I'm hoping that the courses sell enough to fund me that I can uh, do work for people that really need it. You know, I mean, I, I spent my career working, you know, explain to you some of the projects you know mosquito control and oil and gas and that kind of stuff but i'd really like to spend the the last decade or so of my career doing things that are really going to make a difference in the world and so so that's my goal we'll see probably i'll have to take on some other uh kinds of consulting as well just in order to pay the bills occasionally so but we'll see how that goes
0: well, that's, that, that's a good cause. And do you have a website if anybody's interested in learning more about you?
1: I do. The website is millamountain.com. Just spell just the way it sounds. And you can also – my blog is called Geospatial Brainstorming. And so if you just enter that into Google, it should take you to my blog. And from there, you can link back to my the website. And hopefully in the next five or six months, there will be some information about the nonprofit that I'm – Trying to start up.
0: What about a uh, email?
1: Yes, my email is millamountainmex uh, at gmail.com.
0: All right, great. Well, if, if you're listening to this podcast, I will include all of Mike's stuff on the podcast site so that you can click and check out his blog, check out his website. And you also have a few YouTube tutorials out there too, don't you?
1: Yes, I do. The YouTube tutorials are mostly just individual lectures from my courses that I thought would have more of a general interest so I put them out there on YouTube that so people can uh, look at them without signing up for my courses and also hopefully people might see them and say hey I want to learn more and sign up for <laughs> well,
0: Great Well Mike I, I want to I thank you for your, your time today to talk to me about uh, open source and some of the cool things that you've done and, and are doing especially with your training stuff and I would like to remind everybody to to, to support your local guys out there, to support your your local uh, GIS geospatial folks out there. They'd they work just as hard as the guys in the big company. If you like the podcast, if you if you like the website, make sure you subscribe. You can always uh, subscribe on the website with your favorite podcast uh, listening device. If you like iTunes, if you like Google Play or Stitcher, you can subscribe. Also follow us on Twitter, As well as Instagram, you know, Twitter, you can find me at GeoJobob, it's G-E-O-J-O-B-O-B. Same thing for Instagram. And if you're using Instagram and you tag a geospatial photo with hashtag everydaygeo, it'll come up on the website. So Mike, thank you again for coming on to the show. I hope you've had a good time and I hope everybody listening learned something and look forward to talking to you again soon.